Raymond Woody Jr. is officially the new head football coach of Bethune-Cookman, and Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints was live in Mobile during the week of practice and the Senior Bowl itself, so he gives us a field view of what he was able to see of Isaiah Land and Aubrey Miller. Oh yeah, it's Locked On HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked On HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And now, of course, I'm Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off and it will cut off, don't forget that the journey is not over. Just go ahead and follow me on Twitter at South Exclusive, which you can see at the bottom of the screen. But if you're on the audio side of things, shout out to you because the audio side been going up. So shout out to y'all for the downloads and the listens. I appreciate it. But if you are on the audio side, don't forget the S on the end of South Exclusives. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is the number one and official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more when you visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And Bethune-Cookman has their new head football coach. Raymond Woody Jr. is officially, that's the key word here, officially the new Bethune-Cookman head football coach. Now, depending on when you listened to my episode yesterday, you might have already known that when I said that it wasn't official. But when I recorded it, this was a move that was purely speculative. It was, I don't want to say purely speculative. We kind of knew. It was pretty much a foregone conclusion. He had already announced it. We knew what it was going to be, but it hadn't yet been announced by the school. Now, a couple of hours after my show came out, it was announced. So I'm glad about it because we don't have to get into that and uh, do we touch on it? Do we talk too much about it? Because it might not exactly happen. We know it's happened. He's the head football coach. It's been ratified. It's been passed. Everything has been done and the school can actually announce it. And I've said before they even got to this point, before they even announced who the hiring was going to be, before Woody came out and said, oh, this is my job. Before any of that, I said that this guy is going to be is going to have to fight through the Ed Reed coverage. He's going to have to power through the Ed Reed coverage. And part of that starts with the fact that he's going to be a constant presence around your program, at least for the first season. And actually, I think that it had a influence on how he was hired. I think that Bethune-Cookman learned a little bit from how the the Ed Reed situation was handled. Not talking about, oh, well, Ed Reed was this, so we got to go get Raymond Woody Jr. I am almost certain that there was more than just Ed Reed on the list the first time, and Woody was one of those guys as well. I'm almost certain of that. Now... I do look at how they handled each hire, and I can't help but think that Ed Reed influenced it in two ways. A, the type of coach that they went for, and then B, how it was announced. Now, you could easily go in to talk about celebrity coach culture, but you know if you listen here, I don't like that term. Not a fan of it. But even beyond that, I'm not just talking about the lack of coaching experience. I'm not just talking about the fact that one's the greatest at their position ever. I'm not just talking about that type of hiring. There's a very small percentage of people who can even really fill that shoe if we're talking about every single box that Ed Reed checked and be exactly like Ed Reed. It was, it was just very rare. You just so happen to find somebody who did the same thing as Dion 
and then you found it in Ed Reed. But that's not many people. So I don't just mean that. That's too easy. Of course they didn't go get that. But I mean, they got somebody who I felt like had a firm grip in a firm understanding of the school. Now, when Ed Reed went off on his rant, I believe that many people in the higher ups at Bethune-Cookman felt disrespected. They feel like he disrespected the university. Now, to me, he just disrespected a few people in power, not the university as a whole, but I believe that's how it was taken. It was a miscalculation on his part, 100%, but it was an intentional decision to disrespect a couple of people. But whatever, those couple of people, now you're disrespecting the school. That's where the influence comes in. Why go get somebody who doesn't have an understanding? That's probably how it was taken. Go get an alum. Go get somebody who actually played for Bethune-Cookman. Somebody who you know loves the university, if you question that about Reed. Go get somebody who is, I don't want to say the complete antithesis, but at the same time, you're looking at somebody who, if you're talking about coming from Miami, coming from Baltimore, as far as just the Ravens in general, the frame of reference, the ability to understand what he's walking into is completely different for Raymond Woody Jr. Alum, played football there, probably has been around the program even through the variety of head coaches that they've had since 95 when he graduated. So you have somebody who knows that. But then also, how do you announce it? See, they said we, we agreed in context or a concept, I believe it might have been, into a, a, a contract with Ed Reed. Not this time. They said, we ain't saying nothing. Matter of fact, Woody announced it, and then he deleted his post. I guarantee you somebody said, no, nah, you got you to take that down. You got to take that down. Mm -mm, We're not doing this again. It was too late. The damage had been done. We had already connected Woody to the job, and if he hadn't got it, we would have had questions. However, I knew it was a pretty safe bet that he would get it, but they completely changed. There was no, you waited until the dotted line was signed until you finally said, this is who we have. And I think it's the right way. You look at it. You hire him on Monday. There is a press conference on Wednesday. I question why there was no press conference with Ed Reed, and it was because he didn't have a contract. I question why things were so quiet with Ed Reed is because he didn't have a contract. You see how quickly things move when you're actually signed? You get signed on Monday. You're the new head coach. been announced Monday morning. Wednesday at noon, you're going to be going up there for your introductory press conference. That's how things are supposed to work. Sorry, that's just that was something that did kind of bother me when I said my my piece about Ed Reed a while back that people were like, bro, you just used to how Dion moved. No, I'm used to coaches getting hired and then being introduced. Not three weeks later, but now we know the reason for it. Let's keep pushing. I don't want to just make this too much about Ed Reed and the, the difference in how they they handled the situation. I think they handled it much better as well. I think they did everything that they needed to, and they got the guy that they wanted, maybe the guy that they should have gotten in the first place for what they were trying to be, right? So now that they've done that, let's talk about the qualifications. Because I don't want to just say, oh, well, he likes the university, he loves the university, and he's not a former uh, NFL Hall of Famer. There's way more to it than that. There's way more to it than that because he's actually a great defensive mind and a great recruiter, and that's a big reason on why he was able to get this job. And we'll talk about that as we continue with Locked on HBCU. Before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the Swiss Army knife of protein bars. You need a protein bar that you can just eat on the fly because you're just hungry. Like, I'm just kind of hungry. I need something to hold me over. Built Bar. About to go to the gym, need something that's full of protein, Built Bar. You need something that's tasty and you want to have something tasty because who doesn't want to have tasty food when they're eating? Built Bar. There's not many things that can say they do all three. It's just not. 
There's places who can say, oh, we can do both. But all three, nah. That's why you have Built Bar. You have a bunch of flavors like cookies and cream, cookie dough, chocolate chip, uh, brownie. It's just so many flavors that sound like, you sure this is healthy? Yes, I'm sure. Go read the nutrition facts. High in protein, low in fat, low in carbs, low in sugar. It's good for you, and it tastes good. What more could you want out of Built Bar? Just go ahead and run to your local Walmart or Sam's. You can get them right now if you're patient. You get a bonus of having 15% off with the promo code LOCKED15. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off. And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I want to thank you guys for making us your first listen of the day, every day. For your second listen, check out Locked On College Basketball. It's everything you need around the sport in one place, wherever you get your podcast, including where you're listening or watching me right now. And we're going to continue talking about Raymond Woody Jr. And we're going to talk about his qualifications because I don't want to make it all about how they handled the situation. Let's talk about his qualifications because this guy is more than qualified you look at what he's been able to do he's been at big schools like southern florida florida state oregon he has experience at these universities being an outside linebacker coach being a a special teams coach he's done those things and you look at oregon when he was the linebackers coach at oregon he was able to help that defense go from 126th ranked to 46th rank in a matter of a year I think it was 2016 to 2017, if I'm not mistaken. He was only on that staff for one year. 80 spots they jumped up. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You look at his time at USF, Southern Florida, or South Florida, excuse me. You look at his time there, well, you had 11 wins. You had a top 25 defense in total defense or forced takeaways, yards per game. These were all stats that they were top 25 in, top 30 in. Like, these were... Really big time numbers for him. And you know what? Forget, oh, excuse me. And then that also helped them lead to a school best 11 victories that season. So let's not act like these are just empty numbers or just, oh, they just so happen to have a good defense, I guess. No, these were good defenses that then led to wins. That's what you want. He was also an assistant coach at certain places. And that's something I like in potential hires he's been a positional coach he's been an assistant head coach he's been a defensive coordinator and then he's also been a recruiting coordinator but only at FAU this is not going to pop up in many of his his recruiting or excuse me his job titles but he was a recruiting coordinator and he was a darn good recruiter if we're going to be honest about it I think that this might be the thing we need to highlight more than anything else he came to the ACC with Florida State in two months in I believe it was only two months in they had already graded him the second best recruiter in the conference at the Sun Belt, he was graded the recruiter of the year. If you want to talk about how good his defenses have been, 100%, that's important. But recruiting, according to the athletic director, is a big reason on why they hired him. He's had seven NFL draftees under him, under his leadership. You're hoping that that can transition to Bethune-Cookman. And it doesn't have to be getting players drafted. Of course, you would love that. Every draft cycle, we sit here and talk about HBCU players we think should be drafted. But it doesn't have to be that. It just has to be accumulating talent to win. Because let's be honest, if you're honest with yourself, if you're really honest with yourself, what takes a higher precedent? These players making it to the, to the league or your school winning an HBCU championship, winning a SWAC championship, winning a MEAC championship? So if you're just asking me if I get a championship or my players go pro, 
I'm gonna take that championship probably nine times out of ten. I'm just, I'm just being completely honest. I hope my vulnerability ain't used against me, but this is a team sport. We are fans of the team. I wish the kids the best, but the point is for my team to win, right? I mean, like, that, that's, just the, that's just the truth of the matter, and I think if we're mostly honest with ourselves, we're looking for the championship first, individual success second, unless we're actually one of the players or have family on the team or something like that. Then we might be looking for that individual success before the team, but otherwise, if you ain't got no real tie to any player, you're probably looking at the team's success. It just sounds harsh to say. But when you break it down, I really don't think it's that bad. And now that we talked about what he's brought to the table, what is he going to have to deal with once he gets to the table? What is he going to what is he going to? And now that we've talked about what he's going to bring to the table as far as defensive acumen, as far as recruiting and everything, once he gets to that table, what is he going to have to deal with? He's going to have to deal with probably a locker room divided there's going to be a certain section of that locker room that wanted ed reed still wants ed reed and will want ed reed until you get them to buy in now i think his recruiting background will make that easier than some he obviously knows how to connect part of recruiting is knowing how to connect specifically with athletes around that age range so he has practice with it he's been at these other schools he's dealt with changes in 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 leadership but now he's got to do that as a head coach and that's a little bit of a different ball game but i think his recruiting background makes it where that's plausible and once he's able to get them to buy in it's usually special once you can get those guys who are already against you to now be with you that dedication is a little bit different i can't wait to see if or when it happens because i will be paying attention like everybody will be to how bethune cookman fares in the first season underneath raymond woody and going forward, we have host of Locked On Saints, Ross Jackson, on to talk about what he was able to see because he was live in Mobile and he was able to see Isaiah Lance transition out off-ball linebacker. He was able to see Aubrey Miller running around the field at practice and in the game. So in the in true Ross fashion, let's get it. <laughs> no, seriously, let's get it and bring on Ross as we continue with Locked On HBCU. Before I get into that, today's episode is also brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can visit them right there at the website below, which is FanDuel.com slash Locked On. They want to help you make every moment more. We're in Super Bowl week. We're in Super Bowl week. How many yards is Jalen Hurts going to run for? How many yards is Patrick Mahomes going to throw for? How many yards is Jalen Hurts going to throw for? How many yards? Who's going to be the leading receiver? If there's not... If it's not Jalen Hurts or Patrick Mahomes, who do you think will be the Super Bowl MVP? A.J. Brown? Miles Sanders? It'd be hard for a wide receiver to get it. Is Travis Kelsey able to get it? I don't know. Let me know who you think. Maybe Hassan Reddick, who we're going to talk about with Ross. There's so many different options, but these are the type of bets that you can make on FanDuel. It's Super Bowl week. That's who I'm going to be referencing. All week. I don't know if I'll be referencing the NBA or anything like that. I'll be talking about the Super Bowl. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. Place a $5 bet and you'll get $300 back in free bets. And that's wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU. I appreciate you guys for making it to segment three. And I have a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints, who was live at Mobile. So we're going to ask him about our HBCU players. And Ross, 
Uh, you can't see, but this is my 2018 New Orleans Saints championship. All shirt. right, all right, yeah. Living Michael in the past as president, good. great. I feel you. I feel yeah, you. Things would work uh, too bad, <laughs> but I want to make that connection between the Saints and views very early and start off with Isaiah Land. This was the first time that we saw him play off-ball linebacker. So quickly, can you kind of explain to the viewer Caden Ellis's NFL trajectory? and see if Isaiah Land could possibly have that same type of career early on. Yeah, absolutely. So the way that Caden Ellis kind of panned out in uh, with the New Orleans Saints is that they brought him in as a linebacker that kind of was a jack-of-all-trades, did a little bit of everything out of Idaho. He was part of the Idaho Vandals when he was in college. He played three-tech for a game. He's got some offensive experience. He played off-ball linebacker. He played edge rusher. He played safety. He kind of did everything you know, at a program like that. But when they brought him to New Orleans, their kind of look for him was to try to teach him what they call Mike, which is basically just your middle linebacker. He's your shot caller, the quarterback of the defense. But then over time, he played a lot more of what they call Sam or strong side linebackers. So you're a little bit more of an on-ball linebacker in that case. You're a pass rusher. You're a primary run defender, but you're not doing a lot of coverage assignments. In 2022, however, after Saints linebacker Pete Werner, who was in his second year, was dealing with some injuries, Caden Ellis went out there and balled out everywhere that they put him. And so he was in coverage. He was rushing the passer. He was stopping the run, and he was able to do all of it. What we saw from Isaiah Land over in the Senior Bowl practice week uh, was also reinforced a little bit in the game, was him getting some of those looks to do a bit of everything. You know, he's a he was a primary pass rusher during his time at FAMU, as well as, you know, a couple of other things. But he was also playing under size there, 215 pounds, I believe, is where he was listed. He comes into the Senior Bowl, right, weighs in at 226, uh, shows that he was able to put on a little bit of weight, and then they had him play off ball. So there's a lot of connections there in terms of what the New Orleans Saints saw with Caden Nellis. I'll mention also Zach Bond, somebody who had a very similar trajectory, was a primary uh, pass rusher and run defender at Wisconsin, did a little bit of off-ball linebacker work at the Senior Bowl, drafted in the third round. Some people thought he would be a first-rounder, so we'll see how that uh, show of being able to play a little bit of off-ball linebacker, which he did pretty well. Yeah, he lost a rep to Tajay Spears, but it wasn't as bad as when Tajay Spears took a man's ankle and soul all in one rep, uh, which was a different linebacker that was in coverage there. So if he's able to show that he can transition some of that to the NFL, maybe put on just a little bit more weight, get into the 230, 240 realm by the time that you know the draft rolls around, or at least by the time that training camp rolls around, I think he's going to be in a really good spot to be able to showcase all of his abilities with an NFL team in the fall. Yeah, and I think that was so unexpected. I didn't see him playing mm -hmm. off-ball linebacker at all. I think it caught many of us by surprise. What I felt like his NFL, and I still kind of feel like this might be best for him, his NFL role would be as a 3-4 outside linebacker. You mentioned Zach mm -hmm. Bond. That's exactly what I felt yep. about Bond. I feel like 3-4 outside linebacker is going to be him. That's still technically an edge, except he won't have his hand in the dirt. He did right. play edge at the Senior Bowl. Despite his size... How do you feel like he showed his ability to play against offensive tackles? Yeah, I think he he performed well. Now, I, I will say this. The offensive line dominated the defensive line all practice week when it came to the senior bowl, with the exception of a couple of reps here and there. Uh, Ali Gay won a big rep. You saw a couple of big wins from Byron Young out of Tennessee. So there were some, some wins, whether they be in one-on-ones, which are usually pretty weighted towards one side or the other, and then you know also showed what they could do in team drills. The thing that I do think like if I looked at somebody in the NFL and I said, okay, here's what I could see for Isaiah Land. I'll look at Hassan Reddick in, uh, in Philly. Now he's going to be playing a Super Bowl game this week. So maybe he's just on the top of my, my brain because of that. But honestly, 
he was somebody six foot one, 235 pounds, came in. Arizona did the wrong thing. They tried to turn him into an off-ball linebacker. That didn't work. Philly got a hold of him, turned him into a pass rusher, and then he became part of a team that set a franchise record with 70 sacks in 2022. And he had a big portion of those sacks. So I could see something like that happening for Isaiah Land, who has this really remarkable speed rusher, but can also be violent with his hand style as a pass rusher, that if he falls in with the right system, that he could potentially take off and have a bigger year and potentially bigger career than people might expect with him coming out of an HBCU, which always, of course, is met with, I think, an unnecessary amount of criticism. Yeah, let's go ahead and switch over to the natural linebacker, and that's Aubrey Miller. Now, you heard him mention this guy a little bit earlier, Tajay Spears. That is Ross's, I think it's safe to call him his draft crush. Draft I crush, yeah. That's yeah. who it is, right? He loves, yeah. he loves Tajay. So, <laughs> Arvin Miller and Tajay were able to meet up on a couple of, I think, three mm-hmm. pass rush drills. And then also, they had a play in coverage as well, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. When you're looking at those battles, how do you feel like those win? How do you feel like, what do you feel like Miller showed that was really built to him? Yeah, I think the thing that you like about Miller a ton is his motor. Uh, on no play did he ever give up. Even after the pass was caught, he always showed what he could do in terms of closing, things like that. You saw that in that Tajay Spears one-on-one, for instance. He was able to close after that play, show you that he would have been able to put himself in position to at least make the tackle, which is really what the NFL is about. You know, I think we make a lot about completion percentage allowed and things like that, but Making tackles at the catch point sometimes is just as important as stopping the catch from happening in the first place. You're keeping a guy in bounds, you're running off the clock, you're forcing them to get up and you know have to go and run another play in a late game situation, all those other things. So t- making a tackle at the catch point just as important as breaking up a pass. We also saw him end up disrupting and leading to what I would call maybe a, a forced incompletion more than a pass breakup that was against uh, Lucas Musgrove, the uh, big tight end uh, that was on the opposite side on that one. And so You know, you see his ability to be able to track a tight end all the way down the field, down the seam. You see his ability to be able to make a tackle at the catch point. You also saw his ability to chase somebody down and absolutely, like, just lay them out on the field during the Senior Bowl game. You and I were talking before we started recording. Doesn't matter where that play happens. That was a huge moment for him to put him on the spot. That's really what the Senior Bowl is about, too, right? Like, somebody sees that play, and they go, oh, who's that guy? And then they go and they watch the tape. And so those moments are just as important as the consistent performance all the, throughout the course of the practice week. And you talked about the course of the practice week. In the game, the culmination of it all, Auburn Miller had seven tackles. Show that he could fly mm-hmm. around the field all day every day right what what do you feel like that game represented as far as his performance in the senior bowl versus his performance in the senior bowl week of practice yeah i think it's it it confirms your prior right like you walked into the senior bowl game with a prior assumption that what you learned about him throughout the practice week is that he's a high motor player that doesn't give up on plays he's not going to bird dog reps he's not going to cut stuff off and he's not going to come up short and you saw exactly that in the senior bowl game he could have given up on that play it's an all-star game it's an all-star game like you know you don't want to get hurt hurt your draft stock things like that there's a lot of guys that if that play gets behind them particularly on a big run play when he's coming from the opposite side of the formation you give up on that you let that happen and you say all right good for him but Aubrey Miller did not do that. And I think that that is one of those things that just confirms the prior assumption, which is that he's a high motor player that's not going to give up on plays. And in a lot of cases, when you talk about shoulders up football, which is such a huge narrative right now in the NFL, that shows you exactly what that is. Composure, it shows you his tenacity, and of course it shows you his hit power as well, which people are more than capable of falling in love with. Yeah, and one last question. You're walking away from Mobile. You're now back in the city. 
what was either your takeaway or maybe even some takeaways that you heard from others around Mobile about Landon Miller? Yeah, I think the big thing about both of them is that they are considered, you know, I think what you would call like high character players that those that's the kind of the the big thing that you hear about all of them from the interviews, because the thing to remember is that the practice and what happens on the field during the game, those things are those things carry value. But it's really the interviews that are such a big thing. Jeff Ireland, we spoke with him, the uh, Saints VP and assistant general manager works with the college scouting program. And one of the big things, or department rather, and one of the big things that he talked about was everybody that's on the field, they already know who the player is. Now, over the course of that week in Mobile, they get to learn who the person is. And so a lot of the standout things that you see from them on the field confirm a lot of what you might have picked up or even maybe combat a lot of what you picked up in the film, forcing you to go back to the film. But what you learn as the person is kind of concrete. It's, it's cemented in those moments with those interviews. So that those are major opportunities for both of those guys who uh, apparently from the folks that I spoke to uh, impressed in those interviews. So uh, good stuff from both of those guys. And, and, and hopefully we see more of them in the very near future, whether it be the draft or potentially combine as well. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys. Make sure you guys are following him on Twitter. Go ahead and give you at man. Oh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Easiest place to follow me. Keep up with all the work. Exactly. I didn't want to steal your thunder and inspire ah, Mola for you. I, I, had to let you <laughs> I had to let you do it, man. But I can't wait to work with you again. I got, I mean, we'll talk about it after, but I got to think three HBCU players who I think might be able to fit on the Saints. So I look forward to talking mm. to you about that and bring you maybe back on the show to break down some other players as time goes on. This has been Ross, been, been Darian. I appreciate you guys for making us your first listen of the day every day. For your second listen, go ahead and check out Locked On College Basketball, which is everything you need around the sport in one place. And you can get it wherever you listen or watch your podcast, including me where I'm at right now. So on tomorrow's episode, we're going to be breaking down some of the action from tonight. Well, Monday nights, excuse me, recording this on Monday afternoon, but we'll be breaking down Monday's night of action in basketball. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until next time, we hear each other family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.